Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hey and welcome to Serious Issues, a comic book podcast. My name is Andrew Levins, your host of uh, this sure to be extremely long look at all the comic books that have come out in the last uh, month or so. Um, usually I do this monthly with my friend Siobhan Coombs, who uh, I can tell you now has just had her second baby son. So she is out of the hospital, healthy baby boy. Um, I'm not going to tell you the name. You can guess which obscure X-Men hero or villain that she named it after. But uh, if you want to go to Twitter or Instagram at Siobhan CBG, um, it's where you'll find her. Wish her, wish her well, wish her and her new family of four the, all the best wishes that you could wish because uh, yeah, I think it was a a, a very quick and happy labor, which is the best thing you can wish for in this world. Um, This podcast is not about babies unfortunately. It's about comic books and I've read a hell of a lot of them over the last month. Um, so, uh, strap yourselves in. It's going to be a wild time in which I try not to lose my mind while talking about comics from DC, Marvel, Image, other publishers. I've got some local comics. I've got some manga to talk about. I got graphic novels. I got single issues. I got first issues and all these comics, most of them came from King's Comics in Sydney. Um, they recently moved from one location to another. Uh, they used to be uh, at like 403 George Street in, in the city. They've moved across the road to the Dimmicks building. Um, they now have a much smaller space. It's an interim space uh, before they move into another location uh, a year from now. They've done a lot of moving in the last two years, and I do not envy them one bit. But uh, the new location is gorgeous. This um, It's quite awesome seeing them in this like kind of petite space uh, in the Dimmicks building. I should give you a, a word of warning that I wish I knew. Um, of course, anyone with half a brain uh, or someone, anyone that you didn't use all their brain just to remember random comic facts and instead remembered important details would have just read on the on the notice or even their new address that they're on the seventh level of the Dimmicks building. But not me. I uh, saw that there was a, a, a queue for the lifts downstairs. So I was like, oh, I'll just walk up the stairs. How many levels up could it be? And I walked up about four flights of stairs and then I was like, I should check online, see what level these guys are on. And yeah, sure enough, they're on the seventh floor. Um, and then seven floors of stairs is a lot of floors of stairs. But I did it, and then I got the elevator back down. Um, so all the comics uh, that I'm about to talk about uh, are from Kings. Make sure you go visit them at their new location. It's gorgeous in there. Um, we begin every episode 
with a little segment called First Things First. However, this segment is going to be very long because there's lots of number one issues. That's what First Things First is all about. All the number one issues that came out over the last few weeks. And the issue that everyone is talking about came out last week. It is uh, the return of one Jonathan Hickman to Marvel Comics and uh, the beginning of his X-Men saga. Um, if you asked me like a while ago, like, hey, what would be like the one thing that would get you to get all the way the fuck back on board with X-Men comics? Uh, having John Hickman take over them uh, would be pretty close to the top of my list of reasons why I would do that. Uh, and so he returns to Marvel um, with House of X number one. And we are going to get, I think it's 12 issues. Um, so it's two six-issue miniseries, um, week on, week off. Um, one's called House of X and the other is called Powers of X. And so, so far we have House of X, issue one of six uh, by Jonathan Hickman. We have art by Pepe Larraz, um, and colors by Marty Gracia. Um, and uh, I mean, look, I, I, I assume that everyone listening right now has read this because uh, everyone's talking about it. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's exciting to see so many insane theories about this first issue. Um, everyone does just so much speculation. It's very rare that you see this much speculation given, uh, to a comic book as opposed to a comic book movie these days. But, um, I feel like a lot of people jump back on board with this book. Um, God, it just feels so good to have Jonathan Hickman back in the Marvel universe, um, setting up what seems to be like a story that could take decades. Um, there's so many cool ideas that are given to us in this first issue. The mutants, um, have their own island and the island is Krakoa, the living island, mutant island. Um, and uh, Krakoa has like a bunch of different like portals and, and, and things that he's created. Um, Professor X is, is the kind of the leader of, of, of the mutants. Obviously he's back, but he's, there's something mysterious about him. He's wearing a helmet uh, like all good um, characters in a, in a Hickman book. He's wearing a helmet and uh, look, there's something sinister going on. It seems to be all well and good for the mutants on the island uh, but as they communicate with Earth, um, especially we get this uh, pretty strange um, confrontation between um, Scott Summers, a.k.a. Um, Cyclops, Cy- <laughs> um, who uh, has an altercation with the Fantastic Four, who are trying to capture um, Sabretooth. And um, yeah, I mean, like, basically, we, we, we're so used to seeing the mutants kind of all the rules of how they are, they, they need to leave kind of live dictated by the human world. But this is the first time we've seen them kind of being like, okay, you know, we are going to be the dominant species on earth at some point in the future. And this is the beginning of that phase. And you kind of in, in less words, like, you know, they basically like it ends with, with uh, Magneto saying you have new gods now. And so basically they're not quite telling the human race to take a knee and, and kneel before them. But, uh, I mean, you could interpret that as a, this is that, I don't know. It's hard to talk about a Hickman first issue because there's, it, there's just so many ideas and new concepts and new takes on characters. And it's all so much set up that, you know, I mean, his, his track record speaks for itself, especially when it comes to Marvel, you have his fantastic four stuff, secret warriors. And then of course the incredible Avengers run, we had Avengers, new Avengers, and then all came to culmination, um, with infinity and secret wars, like amazing payoff. And, uh, he clearly loves this sandpit of character of Marvel characters. And we haven't really seen him do that much with the Marvel characters. Of course, professor X and beast were both, um, uh, used in his new Avengers run. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm really, really keen to see 
this this definitely feels it feels even more epic than the first issue of Grant Morrison's new X-Men run. Um, and that's saying something because like that was definitely a run that inspired so much um, after it. I feel like there's that many ideas in this issue that this is, this feels less like a, an event for X-Men and more like a big kind of status quo change for the Marvel Universe. So who knows how, how incredible the scope of this is going to be. Um, I'm excited for what's to come for sure. And I, I love that we're getting a Hickman X-Men book every week for the next 12 weeks at the very least. And then we get a, a bunch of X-Men series spinning off of that. I was kind of hoping that they would just, they would only let Hickman play with the X-Men for a while, but we are getting a ton of uh, X-Men books. There's like six different teams coming out of these uh, two House of X and Powers of X books. Um, but uh, look, enjoy this uh, this limited scope of X-Men books while you can. We got 12 weeks of Hickman, Hickman only X-Men books. And that's a really, really awesome thing to think about. Um, and uh, if you want to talk about, you know, your, the theories, what you what, what you think might happen in these books, the best place to do it is in the Serious Issues Facebook group. Come join us. Come join the discussion. There's uh, been very little arguments over this. Just lots of people going, hmm, yes, I think this might happen. I'm into this. Um, it's facebook.com slash groups slash Serious Issues Podcast. Um, and uh, God, I can't wait for the next issue of this, which comes out like tomorrow. So Powers of X. I'll be talking about that. I'm going to try and record these more often. I let, I've, I've been busy, so I let all these comic books stack up. And then I did that classic thing that where, I, where I read 50 comics in less than a week. Um, so hopefully once I get this week's stack, I'll try and maybe record something a bit more regular. But no promises. You know how bad I am at keeping my promises. Um, so last episode of Serious Issues, I reviewed um, the final issue of War of the Realms the Jason Aaron and Russell Dorderman um, kind of massive Marvel event all about kind of bringing to culmination all of their years of work on Thor. Um, and I thought it was a really, really excellent event um, with that. We'd like, you know, it was, it was, it was six issues long. The tie-ins didn't seem like as necessary to read. So I didn't read any of them. And in fact, I was kind of like regretting that. I kind of re- wish that I read more of the spinoffs because I enjoyed my time in the war of the realm so much. Um, but yeah, there were like lots of things. Like I remember, like the, the the perfect idea. Like when I think of like an awful event moment, um, is uh, what was a shitty um, the Age of Ultron event that Bendis wrote that was like ten, eleven issues, and there was so many different artists towards the end of it. There were delays, and then the final issue, um, it would just something would happen to a character, and then there would be a cover for the next like their series that was spinning out of age of Ultron. So the, the final issue was just this advertisement for all of the next books to come, but it was still part of the event. Um, I hate that element. That's one of the worst things about Marvel events. And I love that war of the realms didn't do it or did they? Because uh, a couple of weeks after the war of the realms finished, they released the war of the realms, Omega written by um, Jason Aaron um, and other different writers. So we have a, a, a big cast of different writers because this is the book that sets up all of the, uh, the new changes for the Mar- the cast of Marvel uh, before they get their new books. So there was a great kind of like um, story book ending this book, which was called God and the devil walk into a church. And it was about um, Heimdall and, and daredevil um, written by Jason Aaron with art by um, Ron Garney and Matt Miller. That was cool. Um, we then got a kind of set up for the new um, Jane Foster Valkyrie series called the, the job I have to do, which was written by Al Ewing and Jason Aaron with art by Kafu um, and colors by Jesus Abertov. That was fine. Um, then we got a, uh, a great setup for the, for the Loki series um, written by Daniel Kibble Smith um, with art by Oscar Baz, Bazaldua. Um, Bazaldua. 
uh, colors by David Curiel. Um, and that was called Born Small. And that was, that's actually really, that's probably the highlight of this for me. Um, and then we got, you know what? The only thing that really left a bad taste in my mouth with this book was the war orphan story, which is the setup for the new Punisher clearing, like killing, like what's left over from the war of the realms in New York. That was written by Jerry Duggan. Um, who's been pretty hit and miss for me lately. Um, we had, uh, art by Ivan Ferreira or Juan Ferreira. Sorry. It's written in like old timey Thor text. So I'm, 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 I mean, I know I'm terrible at pronouncing things at the best of times, but this is definitely not the best of times. Um, so that was like the only, the only story in this that I didn't really like that much, but yeah, this did feel like one, it's not good to like read a book like this. That's all set up for, for like different series. And you just feel tricked. If it's a dirty trick, especially when it's, when it's $4.99. Um, but you know, I guess you didn't really have to read this. If you were reading the, uh, the war of the realms event, it, it ended with issue six and you can just leave it at that. So if you haven't picked this one up yet, I say skip it, but there were some good little setup moments for, um, uh, Valkyrie and Loki. And I'm going to talk about those two books now. Um, there's no, that, that Punisher book looked so unappealing to me. I liked the art, but, um, it was just like, I don't know. I don't think Jerry Duggan writes a good Punisher. It makes him kind of too grisly or something. I don't know. It just wasn't, it was like kind of, wasn't my thing. That's all it was. Uh, but if you're enjoying it, let me know. Um, maybe I'll pick it up if, if, it, if enough people say it was really good. I could, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong constantly, so I could be wrong. Uh, Jane Foster, Valkyrie, Valkyrie, number one, written by Jason Aaron, Al Ewing, uh, with up by Cafu and Jesus Abertov. Um, the first issue is called The Sacred and the Profane. And as you know from the end of War, War of the Realms, um, Jane Foster is no longer Thor. She has been, um, now has the power of all of the Valkyries within her. And she wields a, um, like a weird golden dagger and can, um, summon big golden wings and armor. And, uh, she's also in, she's just, in, I, I thought this is going to be a way more kind of like Thor universe kind of, um, uh, set book, but she's in New York taking down like regular schmucks, the fast five, like she's, she's, yeah, she's literally taking, taking down a Fast and the Furious sequel in this issue. Um, and, uh, but then I, so I was like, I was just surprised. I was like, okay, this, this is going to be like very much a, a, a New York set book. And the reason of that is that it's going to be one of the classic, um, you can't reveal who you really are. She has to keep her secret identity because Jane Foster is also trying to be a doctor, um, in this, uh, in this series. Um, so that's why she's grounded in New York. You still have a lot of, um, different characters from the Thor, Thor universe. You have her, um, contacting the Valkyries who are in Valhalla for help. Um, you have Heimdall in it, um, for a moment. Um, and then you have, uh, the reveal of who the villain that she's going to be facing, um, in this series in this, in the first arc of this series. Um, also her weapon is not really a dagger. It's kind of like a big golden mace thing. Um, but, uh, so that's also a reveal that we see at the end, but yes, she's going to be going up against bullseye. Um, and that was enough. To, like, I was kind of like dubious of like, do I really need to read this, you know, Jane Foster book where she's trying to be a doctor and just going to fight nothing heroes, in, not, not nothing villains in, in New York. But yeah, the reveal of bullseye at the end and it, it being like, it's not just any, any old bullseye, you know, with a gun, this is bullseye riding a fucking Pegasus with a, while holding a big magical sword. Um, and that sounds really fun and insane. And look, I mean, Al Ewing and Jason Aaron are two of my favorite writers for the Marvel universe. So I'm going to be continuing reading this series. Um, Loki, on the other hand, written by Daniel Kibblesmith, who, uh, I've really come to enjoy. Um, I liked a lot of the stuff he did for Valiant. Um, and he has written some 
um, funny Marvel series in in the past. He's taken over Loki, um, and he has uh, a new artist coming along for the ride, whose name I I, I dogged earlier, and I'm going to dog it again once I find it again in this comic somewhere. Uh, but yeah, Loki. Sorry, Oscar Basildua. Basaldua. I fucked it up a hundred times. I'll do it a hundred times more. David Curiel is the colorist on this book. Um, but uh, Loki is now the king of the frost giants, um, which is fun, but he doesn't want the responsibilities that come with being a king. And it's up to Thor to get him in line. Like, And uh, they have to fight someone called Nightmare and he makes a snowman. Uh, this is a book that like, it sets up a few kind of fun, interesting ideas for the future, but I don't know if it properly hooked me. So I might wait for trade on this one. Uh, Kibble Smith is a good writer though. So look, if, if I was a madman who still, still read 50 comics a week, I would definitely be hanging on to this one, but I'm a less of a madman now. I only read 50 comics a week when I forget about them and then realize, Oh, I should probably record an episode of my podcast. I better read all these comics on my bedside table. Uh, over to uh, X-Men again, but this is a return of an X team that uh, I love called Ecstatics. Um, they, uh, many, many years ago, I want to say it must be two decades by now. Um, Peter Milligan and Michael Orred took over X-Force and they introduced a new team of uh, bizarre pop art influenced um, mutants who were obsessed with almost like basically it was a reality TV show where they were being heroes, followed by cameras, talking to the camera a la The Office or reality TV show like that. Um, and it was insanely funny. Um, they died a lot. I then spun out into an ecstatics book. Um, and God, there were so many incredible artists working on that besides just Michael Allred. Um, Darwin Cook did a uh, amazing Wolverine and Dupe series. Dupe, of course, is a character created by within by, by Milligan and Allred for ecstatics. Um, and uh, I was very surprised to see this book back, um, these characters back on the shelves, um, the ecstatics team, um, or whoever's left, left of them, um, and some of their children are back in a, uh, a giant size ecstatics. Um, which of course is harkening back to, uh, you know, some classic X books with a giant size tag. Um, and I wasn't sure, like, I mean, I haven't really been the biggest fan of everything I've read from Michael Allred and, um, and Peter Milligan in the last few, like in the last decade, if I'm, if I'm being honest. And, you know, there is that, you can't go home again, kind of mentality of things that you used to love that have been gone for a while when they come back, are they going to be as good as you remember? And, uh, I fucking loved this issue. Um, I, I would not recommend it to anyone who hasn't read, at least, you know, a substantial amount of the early ecstatic stuff. But who knows? Maybe you did just pick it up on a whim because the art is wonderful. Um, and I should say, I've always enjoyed Michael Allred's art. It's when he writes, I find it exhausting. He writes like a Silver Age writer and there's just so much text and um, so much, uh, you know, thought, thought balloons and word balloons and over, yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff to take in. Uh, and it's very zany and this is zany, but in a more kind of, uh, sarcastic, um, cynical kind of way, which is really, makes it really, really enjoyable. So yeah, the ecstatics team, um, basically someone is trying to bring them, reform the ecstatics again by getting in touch with, uh, the children of, uh, of some of the dead ecstatics and then, uh, uniting them with what remains of the, uh, original ecstatics team. And uh, the bulk of this is um, is seen from um, the daughter of You Go Girl, um, and uh, but that, that's kind of the bulk of this issue is from her point of view. And uh, she's a really well well written character who hates 
hates her. Like she was obsessed with. Uh, there's, there's a twist in it, Amelia, that I won't spoil. I kind of already have. But uh, look, I, I really, really enjoyed this. If you are a fan of the early ecstatic stuff, you probably already picked this up automatically. But if, like me, you were a bit not sure of whether it was going to be good or not, uh, rest assured, it definitely was very good. <coughs> um, so over now, now to a strange new um, lineup of uh, superhero books that Marvel are doing um, with uh, Chinese artists and writers. Um, we have two so far. They are called Arrow and Swordmaster. And they're characters who live in China, um, and uh, but it's you know in the same world. It's in the six one six universe, and they they are inspired by Marvel heroes. So the first half of these books. Um, so let's talk about Arrow at first. Arrow is written by Zhu Lifen with art by Kang, um, and then it's been adapted by Greg Pak. Um, so that's the bulk of the issue, and um, it it reads very much like a. Um, like, you know, it reminded me a lot of a, a kind of fun kind of superhero slash battle kind of manga where you where you meet a hero at the start of an issue. You have this incredible art as they face a big, crazy, uh, elemental being um, and you learn a little bit of their life. I love the art in this, but it's over all too soon. And then we get a backup. And I guess all these are going to have weird backups now. Um, so this backup is Arrow teaming up with Wave and so this is written by Greg Pak. Um, and then you have art by Pop Man and Frederico Blee on colors. And I found that like, it just, it just reads like a, like a, like it looks like an ad for, or like, you know, when, when they're like, I'll oh, quick get the Z team together that we need to do a Snickers ad featuring Marvel's characters or, you know, we need to, we need to have a book that we give away free to kids at the airport. Quick <laughs> Z team assemble. Uh, let, let's do this kind of shitty looking uh, superhero book. Sorry to everyone involved. <laughs> um, but I liked, I liked, I liked the first part of it. I kind of, I, I, this is, this would be much more appealing and same as Swordmaster. I, I actually liked the, the story in that even more. It's about like a, a kid called Lin Lee who, um, his stories about his father, who's an archeologist who um, may have died at the hands of like these bandits while he was trying to, find some magical thing um and he has to, he then goes up against these bandits and he has his magical sword and it's cool as fuck um and it's weird and wacky as well um but then again that has that has a backup by like a less than actually this art's slightly better in the backup but it's like it's the, this character the sword master character teaming up with shang chi so i get what they're trying to do like you know you have these chinese writers and artists creating a new Chinese character. And then um, the backup is them working with other, I think Asian um, creators who work for Marvel um, to do a, a team up with other Asian characters in the, in the Marvel universe. Um, I kind of, I wish that we got to spend more time with both Swordmaster and arrow before we got the weird tie in book, but maybe the tie in stuff is what appeals to other other readers. I don't know. Unfortunately, it did not appeal to me. But if they ever collect the Arrow and Swordmaster stuff in, in a graphic novel with all of the backup stuff, I'll definitely be, p- be picking those up. Um, the art in both Swordmaster, the art is by um, Gunji, and it's written by Shuizu. Um, I really enjoyed it. Like, yeah, but I, I just do not like those backups. That airport quality backup. Um, so over to DC now. DC have uh, a couple of I don't know if they're calling this like a, this this line or if it has a name, but we're having um, there's a couple of uh, twelve issue maxi series launching over at DC, and I read the first issue of two of them. 
Um, they're both by writers and artists that I'm uh, a big fan of already. Um, so we have Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, written by Matt Fraction with, uh, oh God, it's just a killer lineup, um, with Steve Lieber, um, best known for his work um, on uh, the superior foes of Spider-Man and other stuff with Nick Spencer. Um, of course, but he's been, you know, he's been, he's done, he did all that stuff with, uh, um, with Greg Rucker many, many years ago. He's an excellent artist and it's, uh, you've got colors on this one by Nathan Fairbairn. It doesn't really get better than a creative team like that. Like, you know, Matt Fraction is just such an incredible writer and I wish he did more. Um, but at least we're getting this series and who knows what's happening with sex criminals at the moment. Hopefully that comes back soon too. But Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, it's a 12 issue maxi, maxi series and it is like a bumbling comedy comic. Uh, featuring Jimmy Olsen at the heart of it and uh, who is constantly getting up to dumb, basically endangering the life of himself and also the lives of everyone else in Metropolis um, by doing these weird stunts, the first of which sees him like injected with like turtle hormones that then see him turn into a turtle and dropped from it, turn into a turtle and then dropped, shot out of an airplane and Superman has to always rescue him. He takes out like a, a... like the town kind of mascot um, and everyone's upset at him, especially Perry White, Jimmy Olsen's boss, who's like, enough is enough. You're fired. I can't keep covering for all your bullshit anymore. But then um, he quickly learns that um, Jimmy Olsen's stupid antics and the viewers that his videos get is the only thing keeping the daily planet afloat these days. So, um, so for whatever reason, um, like, you know, he, he, He's still going to be employed by the Daily Planet, but he just can't be in Metropolis anymore. So he gets sent to Gotham. Um, and uh, there's a whole bunch of other weird twists and turns. It is the most Matt Fractiony written book ever. There's great little titles at the start of each kind of um, part of this, each story. There's flashback to Joachim or Joachim Olsen. He's like, he's one of the forefathers of the Olsen family who gets ripped off at the start of this issue many, many years ago in Metropolis. <coughs> the writing was was... Just so fun and funny. And uh, it made me realize how much I miss reading Matt Fraction comics. Because uh, there was a time when we used to get like four of them a week. And now we've got to wait. We've got to wait a long, long time. But hey, we'll be getting 12, 12 new Matt Fraction comics at the very least over the next year. And uh, Steve Lieber's art is so well suited to Fraction's uh, writing style. It's just excellent. He's just such a gifted um, comedy cartoonist. It's good shit, man. Good, good shit. Um, big, yeah, if, if you're looking for something that feels more in line with, um, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye stuff, especially the more comedic issues of that run, uh, this is definitely something you should not miss out on. Um, now we go over to Lois Lane, issue number one of 12. <coughs> this one was written by Greg Rucker, making his return to DC Comics. You always think that he's bowing out for good, but then he comes back. Uh, teaming up with Mike Perkins, um, for a, uh, a, a, a story that, I guess it's about, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a Lois Lane journalist story. Um, and, uh, much like, um, house of X number one, a lot is set up in here, but I'm not quite hooked, but because Greg Rucker is just a writer, I trust I'm going to stick with this. The, the bulk of what annoyed me of this issue is the acknowledgement of everything else that's happened to Lois Lane and Superman over at DC in the last few years. There's a lot of references to her being in space to like her father, <laughs> and I guess I just wanted, I wanted my cake and, and eat it too, because I just wanted to, I, I wish that this was 
um, Rucker riding a pre New Fifty Two Lois Lane, but obviously that's not going to happen. So yeah, I'll, I'm sure I'll get over that within a few issues. Um, but it was a good start, solid start to a Lois Lane series that I'll definitely be reading all of, all of. Um, and uh, I would even recommend this to someone if you've only really read if you haven't really read a Lois Lane book before, but if you've read like Jessica Jones, this feels a lot more in line with that original Alias run than uh, anything that's come since. So check it out. Also from DC this month, we've got a collaboration comic between DC and Dark Horse Comics. This is the first ever crossover comic featuring the Black Hammer universe crossing over with DC's Justice League. And so, of course, this is uh, the Jeff Lemire superhero comic book, Black Hammer, much loved by serious issues. Um, and uh, yeah, this was announced a couple months ago. They're doing their first ever crossover. Um, and here we have, uh, yeah, Superman, Cyborg, Batman, all your favorite Justice League characters swapping places with the stranded on a, in a boring country town superheroes of the Black Hammer universe. They swap. So you have the Black Hammer heroes having to fight in the DC universe. Um, they have to fight Starro, um, while all of the Justice League are stuck in, uh, the boring country town. And we have a, a Green Lantern, um, core collision with uh dr weird professor weird whatever his name is colonel weird um i thought this was a cool start we have art by um michael walsh um i don't know what i was expecting from this but i guess uh this kind of will fit in pretty nicely um the writing is good and the art is nice uh but it's not it's not the uh, earth shattering coming together of two worlds that i I guess it's, you know, it's not Flintstones meets the Jetsons is what I'm trying to say, but I'll stick with it. It's a good fun time. Um, so that is uh, Black Hammer and Justice League number one. Moving over to Image now, um, we have a new book by Jason Aaron with, art, with uh, co-writer Dennis Hallam, art by Stephen Green and Rico Renzi. This is called Sea of Stars, and this is a book set in space. And on the first page, we learn that space is so crapping boring. Um, and that is a... Uh, a line delivered from a son to a father. Um, the father wants to do boring space stuff and the son wants to do fun space stuff. And by the end of the issue, the father and the son are stranded in space on their own. And this book is about them finding each other, fighting monsters, escaping dangerous situations, and I guess eventually finding their way back to each other. Um, I guess it's a rescue mission from the father's point of view and maybe a coming of age story from the son's point of view. Um, this was cool. Not what I was expecting from a Jason Aaron book, but, uh, obviously I'm going to stick with this one too. Um, there's a lot of like really, really well-loved image series ending quite soon. So it is good to see some, uh, some good new image series starting, you know, time, the circle of life, etc. the, the, the dead animals become grass and then the lions eat the grass. I believe that is uh, verbatim how the saying goes. Um, I want Jason Aaron, though, to stop writing books that aren't Southern Bastards and finish Southern Bastards. What a Southern Bastard for not doing that. But this is still good. feel real good. Uh, IDW this month uh, put out two issues of Usagi Yojimbo, and that is notable because for many, many years, Usagi Yojimbo has been a dark horse property. Um, and so now, uh, Stan Sakai, who has been writing and drawing this excellent, um, uh, comic about a rabbit slash Ronin called Usagi Yojimbo. Um, he has signed a new deal with IDW, which apparently gets him a lot more money and also has linked him with a colorist. So for the first time ever, we are getting, um, 
regular installments of Osaga Yojimbo in full color. The colors are by Tom Luth, and they are very good. It was a, a little bit alarming at first to see um, my, you know, someone who I'm usually seeing, used to seeing in black and white at all times, be uh, completely gorgeously colored. Uh, but we have the start of a, a three-part series. So we've got issues one and two of, of three um, so far from Bunraku, um, which is a much more supernatural story than I'm used to from an Usagi book. We have uh, Usagi in a... He's watching a, a, a puppet show. Um, and wouldn't you know it, but these puppets at night, they come alive and they fuck people up. Um, and uh, this was a ton of fun. Uh, I was like, do I really need to keep reading Usagi Ujimbo in color? And the answer to that question is actually yes. This is really, really good shit. And I recommend it, even as a jumping on point, if you've not read any Usagi Ujimbo before. It's never looked this beautiful. Uh, and it's cool seeing um, IDW getting uh, a couple of uh, well-regarded artists to do their take on Usagi for variant covers. We've got Daniel Warren Johnson doing one, Walter Simonson, Kevin Eastman, um, so yeah, hopefully they keep that up because it always he's such a great character that I've only ever really seen drawn by the one artist my entire life, except for that time that he was on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series. You know the one. Uh, final number one for this uh, edition of First Things First is Second Coming, issue number one. This is the comic that was meant to be published by Vertigo, but because there was so much controversy because it was about Jesus, um, Mark Russell, the writer, um, along with uh, artist Richard Pace and um, Leonard Kirk um, and colorist Andy Troy. Um, they had to take it to a new publisher to publish their controversial smut. And so they took it to Ahoy Comics, who are a relatively new comic book publisher. Um, and look, I'm a massive fan of Mark Russell. Uh, obviously, the Flintstones and Snugglepuss, two of my favorite uh, DC series from the last five years, although that's not really saying much. Um, but, uh, I loved, I love those series and I, I love, uh, Mark Russell as a writer for the most part, but, um, I thought, I don't know. I mean, we've, we've seen some pretty interesting, um, comic books about religion. Um, I mean, I feel like Vertigo has published way more, uh, controversial books about religion in its history. Like I think Preacher is a lot more like, you know, religiously offensive than, than this, this book, which is about, um, Jesus returning to earth, um, during our time now as a superhero, I guess, um, because God is like this kind of like sleazy douchebag that wants to, uh, should this episode be called God is a sleazy douchebag? Probably not. Um, but, uh, yeah, so God, God sees the first superhero on earth and is like, Jesus, why didn't you do that? So he sent Jesus back to earth to become a superhero. It's like, it's mildly amusing. I, I think this is actually the, the least I've ever laughed reading a, a Mark Russell book. So I might hold off on uh, reading much more of this if, uh, if, if people enjoy it all the way through to the trade. I'll pick that trade up and have a good chuckle. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now we're going to move over to Image because Image had a tremendous month. Um, in fact, I... Uh, Probably to surprise no one that uh, if I, once, when I stack up all my books at the end of each month, um, Image has the most... And actually, I read more DC books than Marvel this this month. If you don't include the number ones, that is a caveat. Though I think Marvel just put out less than usual this month. Um, Assassination is an excellent action comedy book by Kyle Starks, um, the writer of Sex Castle um, and uh, Big Rock Candy Mountain, and uh, artist Erica Henderson, best known for her work on The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. And Assassination is about a whole bunch of assassins who get together to protect. Um, the previous number one assassin in the world after he has an assassination attempt on his life. And uh, in the first issue, we meet the, uh, like, I guess it's like the top 20 assassins in the world in the assassin rankings. And uh, by the second issue, there's like half of them left. And then they keep dropping like flies uh, as the series continues. Um, This was just an absolute banger of a book. Uh, It was unbelievably funny. And uh, the art by Henderson was, it was just so good seeing her let loose and, and you know, draw gory shit, which, you know, the obviously Unbeatable Squirrel Girl is an all-ages book that shouldn't have much gory shit in it. But when she, you know, the world needs to know that when, when push comes to shove, Erica Henderson is more than capable of drawing some fantastically gory shit and uh, comically so as well. Um, this is just an... Just so many great lines. Um, the best character of 2019 by far is... Um, he uh, He already had won the award of best uh, character name of 2019. His name is Fuck Tarkington. But by the end of this series, you too will fall in love with a man named Fuck Tarkington. Uh, the trade for this, it was only five issues. So this is uh, issue four and five came out since we last recorded. And uh, the trade for this comes out... On the 18th of September, Assassination Nation Volume 1. They set up a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of uh, this final issue, so hopefully we see this creative team reuniting to do some stuff very soon. Um, But, man, huge fan of Assassination. And, in fact, if you like Kyle Starks, if if, uh, Assassination is the only only book by Kyle Starks you've read read before, I know I mentioned uh, Sex Castle and... uh, an assassination, but this month, my friend John Valenzuela, who uh, I co-host a indie games podcast with called All the Small Games, he lent me because I got him onto the uh, the Kyle Starks wave, and he went all out and bought everything that he's ever done. Uh, he lent me a book that Kyle Starks put out 
uh, a couple of years ago called Kill Them All, which is like his tribute to uh, like ridiculously over the top 90s action movies. Um, it's a great companion piece to both Sex Castle and Assassination. It's stupid funny. Uh, this was actually written and drawn by Carl Starks. Carl Starks is an amazing cartoonist as well. And uh, man, I, I, I would recommend just if you like comics that make you laugh, that make you weep laughing, um, definitely get Assassination, Sex Castle and Kill Them All. He's a very, very good comedic comic book writer. Uh, and these are all in the same kind of like action vein. Assassination, definitely the most uh, hilariously gory. Um, so maybe get that one first. It's the most colorful. Uh, great books. Great times, and uh, I can't wait till this uh, creative team does some more stuff in the future. Um, another series that wrapped up um, this, uh, we got the finale of Headlopper and the Knights of Venora, which is the third volume of Headlopper. Um, this is a quarterly adventure comic, which is written by Andrew McLean with colors by Geordie Belair. And this is definitely the first time I've felt lost and completely unable to remember what happened in previous issues. Um, of uh, of this volume uh but that said you don't really it doesn't matter um I, obviously i'm going to read it again in trade so i can get the story but andrew mclean's art with geordie belair's colors is just a wonderful match and uh even if you are completely lost when it comes to story there's enough amusing uh word balloons to follow and some incredible action sequences this one uh got the most kind of like like heavy metal uh, era, like as in like the comic book, heavy metal kind of, uh, also kind of like the music, heavy metal kind of like crazy fantasy. There's some trippy, trippy acid fantasy st- scenes in this issue. Real good shit. Um, read Headlopper, guys. It's great. Um, another book that made me feel lost at first was uh, Lazarus Risen, issue number two uh, by Greg Rucker and Michael Lark. Now, this book uh, took a hiatus. Um, it used to be a monthly book, but now it is going to be a quarterly book. And so we get a double issue, a um, uh, like a like much, much thicker book um, every every cup, every quarter. Um, and uh, the first one was excellent, a great reintroduction to the world. Uh, and since that came out, I forgot absolutely everything that happened in it. Because, you know, when you read like the recap page, like it's great that they even include one, but you read the recap page and you know, I was like, I have no recollection of that ever happening. So yeah, I'd, all of the events of the last Lazarus issue has left my brain. Um, and I was worried. I'm like, shit, I've, I've loved this series. I hope this isn't one that I'm going to have to wait for trade on. But um, we are then treated to a brilliant and Rucker very rarely gives us this much. It's, it's, it's just a really, really long, like 20 page action scene between um, our main uh, Lazarus forever and uh, two, two of uh, two, two, two fighters for two other Lazari from um, different families. And uh, yeah, it, it's just, it was just such a thrilling action scene. Just, you know, like it's so great because it's whether, you know, normally it's a very wordy thriller book, but to kick it off with such a uh, incredibly drawn and, and, and paced uh, action scene was just a really great change of pace for this series. And um, it, 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 Rucker is a writer that even when you don't remember all the tidbits of uh, what's happened before it, you are uh, you pretty quickly brought up to speed as to what's going on now. So I was not lost for much of this issue. Um, it's great, great stuff. Lazarus Risen. Issue number two. Uh, another great book that uh, never ever, I never feel lost in, although all the characters within it are very lost. Uh, Criminal by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. This is issue number six. Um, and uh, I'm loving this. Uh, like We're learning the 
the story of Teague Lawless, how this, uh, a, a guy who has been kind of like one of the linchpins of the entire criminal series ever since it started all those years ago, we are finally finding out how he dies. And, uh, of course it is, uh, it's a love story. Um, and, uh, this is just, I mean, it's really late. I have to, I have to come clean with you. When I first started recording this episode of serious issues, it was 10 AM and I recorded 20 minutes of it. You can probably hear when I suddenly start talking a bit deeper because now it is one, oh, it's, it's 12.45 a.m. on a Thursday morning. The rest of my family is asleep. I've already recorded three other podcasts since recording the first 20 minutes of this episode. And, uh, you know, I've got a massive pile of comics in front of me. It's going to be a fun rest of this episode, I can tell you that much. But not as fun as Criminal Number 6 by Edward Becker and Sean Phillips. Um, I'm also really enjoying Des- um, Ascender, the sequel to Descender by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. Um, this is uh, kind of like a like many, many years after Descender wraps up. We catch up with one of the main characters, Andy, and uh, his daughter in a world of magic where um, all technology is outlawed. <coughs> and um, how are they going to escape? It's, it's really, really good. And Dustin Nguyen's art is brilliant. Um, another Lemire book. This is the Lemire window right now. The Lemire corner. Gideon Falls. I don't know what the fuck is going on in this series anymore, but the Andrea Sorrentino art with Dave Stewart colors has never looked better. And some of the panel layouts in issue 14, uh, I think some of the best work Sorrentino has ever done, or certainly the best Sorrentino work I've ever seen, especially the final um, page of this issue, which uh, is kind of like a, a very... He references like the, the, he basically lays out the, the panels like a crucifix because we have a bunch of, uh, priests praying to Bishop, the Bishop, uh, one of our main characters. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great panel layout. It's a great issue. This is a great weird horror series that I'm not sure where it's going to end. I don't even know how many issues this is going to be, but I love getting lost in this weird horror series. Uh, the Wicked and the Divine is another excellent image series that is wrapping up very soon. I think we have one more issue left after this issue 44. This is one of the books that I really uh, associate with my like getting obsessed with comics. Um, however many years ago this was, I guess especially like image comics. Like when I first made the big jump from exclusively reading superhero books to like pretty much you know reading 50% image books. I feel like obviously Saga was like the big thing that made me go like, oh man, I love these books even more than superheroes. And then there was, yeah, The Wicked and the Divine, Black Science, which I'm about to talk about in a minute. Um, and all these series are, are wrapping up. So it feels like the end of an era. Um, but The Wicked and the Divine by uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, I think I'll talk about it a lot more when, once it's completely finished. But um, so far it's wrapping up really, really nicely. And in fact, it looks like this is kind of like you could treat this issue as the final issue because it looks like the final final issue issue number 45 is going to be a time jump um but i'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how the characters from the series uh age and and who survives um yeah black science number 41 i think we are like maybe a handful of issues away and uh i don't know how i feel about rick remender as a comic book uh creator Certainly, like, I feel differently towards him than I did when this series started. I thought he, he was probably, like, my favorite writer when Black Science started. He was just coming off of... Um, he hadn't quite started... He, he, he's, he The final books he did for Marvel weren't very good, in my opinion. But I really loved his Captain America run. 
And then, yeah, when he did, did Black Science, Deadly Class, um, they were incredible. But I, I think I got, got burnt out on his comics. I tried to read every single thing he'd ever written, and I burnt out a little bit. And Black Science, Deadly Class, and there was a third book called Low. Um, they all came out relatively the same time as each other. And I, I read all of them. I collected all of them for many years. I've dropped Low, and um, Black Science and Deadly Class are, are both books that I always forget that I love. Because both of these issues, issue 41 of Black Science and issue um, 39 of Deadly Class, uh, Black Science has art by Matteo Scalera and Marino Denisio, and uh, Deadly Class has um, art by Wes Craig and Jordan Boyd. Um, I mean, you, one thing you can definitely say about Rick Remender is that he is, has an eye for, for talent and always uh, pairs with artists that I've not you know, really taken notice of before and then suddenly realize, oh my God, these guys are some of the best in the biz. But uh, Black Science 41 may be my favorite issue of Black Science ever. Um, we are nearing the end and uh, our main character is caught in a world in which everything seems perfect except he has to admit that he is lost. And of course, the ego on him won't allow him to do that. So everything turns to shit by the end of the issue. It was great. Um, Remender is very good at setting up a world and then letting every single piece of it fall to bits by the end of the uh, end of the issue um deadly class is uh just continuing at a rollicking sp- pace um and it looks like remender is kind of focusing his his uh, energy into the comic more so than the tv show since it's been cancelled um so hopefully we see things just continue to ramp up it's really really enjoyable seeing like certain characters uh reunite with you know, characters we haven't seen suddenly re-enter this series um it's great good fun don't know how I feel about Isola at the moment, the Brendan Fletcher, Carl Kershaw, and Ms. Sassy K book um, about a queen who is, uh, she becomes a, a, like a tiger and has to be uh, escorted through a weird, creepy fantasy jungle. Um, I think this might have to be a wait for trade release for me because it is one that, uh, I don't even know if I feel lost. I just think I don't get enough of the story in each issue. Um, so I may, I may wait for trade on this. It's still very good. It looks excellent. Colors are brilliant and they are telling an interesting story, but, uh, I might, I might have to play the waiting game. That's it for image. Now I move over to DC. Um, I wish she was here so she could, uh, say, I told you so, but, uh, a couple of episodes ago, um, we reviewed deceased number one, which is a Tom Taylor and Trevor hair sign book, uh, for DC in which, uh, dark side unleashes a virus that, um, turns everyone who sees it on their phone into a flesh eating zombie. And I thought the premise of that was hacky. And so I stopped reading after issue number one, <coughs> Siobhan said, actually it's great. And she kept reading and then loved issue two. And, uh, so much so that I decided I would keep reading. So I read issue two and three of deceased and man, it is stupid, but it is so fucking fun. And just proof that Tom Taylor has such an excellent grasp of, of like the entire DC universe. Like more than anything, I would love for him to do a sequel to 52, the older uh, DC series that was written by Grant Morrison, uh, Greg Rucker, Mark Wade, and uh, someone else very good whose name escapes me right now. But, um, I know. I think Tom Taylor is man enough to to take to 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 do fifty two too, um, just because he has such a great love and knowledge of almost every character in 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 the DC universe. We've seen. 
I guess you kind of could view um, uh, what the fuck was that one with with evil Superman? It's not infamous. Normally, someone here would be uh, Siobhan would be like, it, it, it was called this. Uh, God damn it! Written, it's the it's the fighting game, <laughs> Injustice. <coughs> um, Injustice kind of feels like a, a a companion piece to Fifty Two in a way, but this does too. Um, and uh, he he writes a very good Alfred, and that is key to being a good DC writer. If you write the old man well, you can write everyone else well too. Um, checking in with Wonder Comics, the weird little kind of Brian Bendis. Uh, helmed uh, corner of the DC universe. Um, issue number six of Naomi, the final issue of Naomi. This is a book written by Brian Bendis, uh, David Walker, and um, art by Jamal Campbell about a girl living in a boring ta- part of America where nothing ever happens, who finds out that she's actually an alien and she has superpowers. This was super weird and kind of super pointless, and I don't know why. It's one of the, you know, when you, when you finish like a miniseries and you're like, why did I read any of this? Um, so not at the best first impression of this new character. Um, and they immediately tease that there's going to be a Naomi two and that she's going to appear in other books. It wasn't bad. It just, I've read so many Bendis books that it's just felt like, like a, like a Bendis mini series where you think so much big stuff is about to happen and then nothing really happens. And it kind of wraps itself up like a neat kind of, you know, flick the reset button at the end of a Simpsons episode kind of vibe. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about this this book. I don't think I'm going to read any more Wonder comics. Um, I'm enjoying a lot more um, Bendis's Event Leviathan, which is uh, him writing uh, alongside uh, the his frequent companion um, Alex Maleev, um, who's doing brilliant art on this book. This is the book in which um, all of the spy agencies in the DC universe have been brought down by Leviathan, and it's up to a uh, a team of uh, the greatest detectives, Batman, Green Arrow, Plastic Man, The Question, and Lois Lane, to try and uh, figure out who is behind it all. And they all suspect it's Jason Todd. I feel like there may have been a scene missing between issue one and issue two. Maybe there's like a tie-in thing that I missed. I don't know how they jumped to this conclusion, but everyone is like, yeah, it's totally Jason. And this issue ends with them about to have a fight. Um, I don't really want... Jason Todd to be a bad guy. So I hope that there is a big twist and I, you know, it's Bendis. I'm sure there's going to be some kind of twist. Uh, Green Lantern issue number nine by uh, Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. Um, More fantastic uh, sci-fi fantasy nonsense. Um, And uh, I'm looking forward to the next, uh, the next chapter of this story uh, because uh, we have, the Batman Green Lantern show up with Hal Jordan and then some like weird dude that looks like Shaggy from, from Scooby-Doo saying far, far out. He's, and he's, he's got like a Green Lantern t-shirt that says, turn on, tune in, drop out. I like any drug reference in a Grant Morrison comic. Um, and this has tons of them. I would like there to be more of an ongoing story feel. And I'm hoping that this is the start of that. It kind of, this and um, Jason Aaron's Conan, Conan books, they're just kind of, they just feel like a bunch of like sporadic one shots that feel loosely tied together. And I would like some more ongoing storytelling coming through, but Hey, you can't make everybody happy. Um, over to Marvel. Now the immortal Hulk. What a motherfucking book, everybody. Al Ewing, uh, is writing this with, um, usually Joe Bennett as the artist. And, uh, we're seeing some absolutely fucking crazy things happen to, uh, she Hulk, not she Hulk. 
red She-Hulk. It's, pardon me. Um, uh, but so Joe Bennett, yeah, wrote the, uh, did the art on issue number 20, but issue number 21 is what I want to focus on because this had uh, a guest artist whose last name is Bodenheim and his first name is Ryan. So Ryan Bodenheim did an amazing job on this um, book that focuses on, I guess the, I mean, does a Hulk book have an antagonist? But the the main kind of soldier who has been out to kill Hulk once and for all, we focus on his life. We learn about, about his motivations, every horrible event in his life that led him to the decision to take down the Hulk once and for all. And uh, it is a great, grim, death-filled, like seriously, half the cast, more than half the cast of a model Hulk are possibly dead because of this issue. Um, God, I fucking love this series so much. It's so insane and unpredictable. Great issue. Issue number 21, one of the best of the run so far. And that's saying something because there's some near perfect issues in this run. Uh, Avengers number 21, there was a spa and uh, everyone got, got naked in the hot springs and had a spa bath together. That's all I have to say on the matter. I should have sold you uh, just based on that. Issue number 22 of Runaways. I read this weeks ago. I can't remember what happened. It was good. Next, Silver Surfer Black. Issue number two. Donny Cates, Trad Moore, Dave Stewart. Yep. So I wasn't really expecting... Uh, I don't want to spoil the story. Let's just talk about the art. Trad Moore is the fucking greatest. And it's 1am in the morning. And I could spend an hour talking to you about how wonderful his line work is and how well-matched David Stewart is as a colorist to his work. But instead, I'm going to say, you should all be reading this series, Silver Surfer Black. And I can't wait. I'm actually, you know when you're like really excited for a trade release, even though you're reading it month to month? This is when you know you have a problem. But uh, I can't wait to see what this, this trade looks like. What are they going to put on the cover? Are they going to make it a special bound hardcover to celebrate a whole a whole bunch of Donny Cates artwork? I hope they do. Make it oversized. Make it really big. Make it the size of a door. Make it a door. A door edition of a comic. Imagine if in order to get into your room, you have to open and thumb through 120-ish pages of Donny Cates art. Sorry, Tradmore art and Donny Cates words. That's my idea, Marvel. And everyone says that the best ideas happen while podcasting alone at 1am on a Thursday morning. Over to other publishers now. And uh, I have issues three and four of a little series uh, that IDW put out called Ghost Tree. And this was written by Bobby Kerno with art by Simon Gain. Simon Gain has now become uh, an artist that I will forever like pay attention to because his art on this was excellent. Uh, this is about a man who uh, is living in America and having problems with his marriage. So he returns home to Japan and um, finds out that he can uh, see the ghost of his father by this tree in, in, in his backyard. And uh, his father is like, yes, our family has always been able to talk to ghosts. And we learn that his father actually kind of didn't spend any of his late, later years with his wife because he was too busy talking to ghosts and uh, helping ghosts out with their business. And he lost himself to the ghost tree. Um, and so our main character has to kind of like help, like help the ghosts while helping himself by not giving in to 
the like the ghost tree like his father did and spending all of his time there. Uh, and it ends on a really somber note, but it was weirdly beautiful in a way. If I don't know if, if, if I've talked about this in the last few ep- episodes of Serious Issues. I really liked the series. It's a very kind of quietly nice book um, that maybe when it ends, not that nice, but the artwork was beautiful. And I think the story is beautiful too. Ghost Tree by, let's hear those names again, Bobby Kerno and Simon Gain with colors by Ian Herring with Becca Kinsey. Great lettering too by Chris Mowry. This is just a really, a really nice little book, Ghost Tree. Uh, another book that is definitely not nice, but is excellent is She Could Fly, uh, the Lost Pilot. We have number four of five um, coming out through Dark Horse, um, written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Martin Morazzo and Miroslav Merva on colors. I can't even tell you anything about this, uh, the, the, the story, but the the plotting and the, the way it, th- there's so many different plot lines going on now in this series. It gets overwhelming in parts, but there's just so many moving parts of this story and it just effortlessly flicks between like, now you're going to find out about this. Now you're going to find out about this. Now we'll cut into this. We'll catch up with these people. It's so good. Um, I can't wait to see how this wraps up. Um, it's kind of terrifying to think what might happen to some of the characters in this book. Um, but uh, look, I, I hope that this is a book that we get a volume of each year. Another another bunch of chapters of this terrifying story because it's, I'm, I'm, I'm loving every minute we spend in this world. Black Hammer, Age of Doom, Jeff Lemire, Dean Ormston, Dave Stewart, Todd Klein. We have a very, very heartfelt, tender reunion between two characters whose names I won't tell you because I don't want to spoil them. Uh, but this was a good issue, and I don't know where this series is going to go next. But the final line on the final panel of this is the words, Hey, bitch, nice house. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should read Black Hammer because it's good stuff. Um, now we have Heathen number seven. That's right. Heathen is back. The, uh, excellent vault comic that's written by Natasha Alterici. She also does art. So she has the writing and the art, um, including the colors. And then we have Rachel Deering on letters on this book and the letters are very good, but this is, uh, look, I know a lot of people are asking who should, uh, who should do, who should write Thor once Jason Aaron is finishing, finished. And I reckon Natasha Alterici should have a, have a crack because she's pretty much writing a Thor story in Heathen. Um, we, we, this is a brilliant story, um, seen from the kind of point of view of like a, uh, I guess she's like a Valkyrie who's been cast out for being gay. Um, and it's about her kind of embarking on a mission. I can't remember because issues one through six were so many years ago, but Hey, issue seven is here and it looks beautiful and the story's great. And I'm glad it's back. In fact, issue eight comes out right now as i'm recording you could go to your comic shop right now and pick up issue number eight of heathen and say hey do you have issue number seven too plus the the first trade because i'm going to read them all and that is a good day plan for you love and rockets is going to be the last comic i review because i'm losing my mind (laughs) i think i need to try and record these more frequently so they're shorter i'm gonna i've got a lot of manga i want to talk to you about and I have a lot of uh, local comics I want to talk to you about as well. So we'll save them for another week. Maybe I'll try and do... Look, the dream is weekly. Then I only have to talk about five to ten comics that came out that week. <coughs> plus whatever else I've been reading. That's the dream. That's the goal. I have a sip of water, which is also a goal. Ugh, love and Rockets. 
what a great, great series. Gilbert and Jamie Hernandez. This is issue number seven of, I don't even know which volume they're up to now, but this is a comic book series that has been going on now since the 80s, and all of the characters have aged in real time. So in Jamie Hernandez's uh, uh, story, we are still, we are, we are looking at characters that we've seen since they were teenagers who are now, like I guess, in their 40s. And uh, in Gilbert Hernandez's books, we are now seeing like, the daughter of the daughter of the daughter of the daughter of the main character that we met in the first in his in his first issues of this uh Palomar story. Um Jamie Hernandez, like I know everyone likes everyone I know lots of people that only read the Jamie Hernandez stuff because the Gilbert Hernandez stuff is porny <laughs> to say to say the least. But um this is a a great kind of like check in with uh, the character of Tonta. Um, and we have like a very, very cute uh, first few panels of, um, uh, I'm too tired to even remember who the main character, Maggie, um, Maggie and her boyfriend, Ray, husband, I guess, husband, partner, life partner, Ray. Like, we have a very, very sad, but kind of slightly relatable. Is it bad to say relatable? Um, a one pager comic that opens this issue. Um, and then yeah, we, we have a, a Tonta comic, um, Tonta is a, uh, a high school kid who can't fit in. Um, and then we have uh, a punk rock reunion by Gilbert Hernandez. Um, man, I would love if, if, if there is someone out there who has read every single issue of love and rockets, just like I have, that would like to talk about it with a microphone in their hand with me one day in the future for the benefit of honestly, nobody, because who is going to listen to that? Hopefully everyone, but look, I'm, I'm being realistic. Let's make it happen. The least listened to episode of Serious Issues ever. Levens and someone that he doesn't know very well ranting about how good Love and Rockets is. Let's make it happen, baby. 2021. <coughs> You've been listening to Serious Issues. I'll be back in a week. I need to sleep for a while first. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show and uh, my terrible reading habits, patreon.com slash serious issues podcast. Make sure you send some love to Siobhan and her newborn. And uh, I will see you in the future. Bye. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.